Another week, another podcast. Henry, what do you got for us? What do you have for us? I can't talk. I have <laughs> a fun topic. What's it? It's on electro swing. Electro swing. Electro swing. You you Ooh. you've heard of electric dance music before, yes. right? Or EDM? Yeah. Um. This is kind of like that. Only it takes elements of vintage swing, blues, and jazz. Yeah. 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 So, um, it's mostly performed by a DJ. You can't really perform it in a traditional ensemble. No. Um, however, it is recorded in more traditional ensemble settings. Can like, you combine them? Like, can you have an actual live jazz ensemble going on, and then a DJ in the back just and, rocking some beats? And, and people have done that before. Um, but Hopefully it's worked out. Yeah. And, turn into dumpster fires, marching band instructor. Would say. Yeah, and a lot of people tend to use old recordings from mm-hmm. the 1920s and use it into their DJ set. So, um, so they take it straight from the record, slab it onto the computer, and go for it. Yeah, and they really try to give it this vintage sound. Um, this kind of music, was most, it mostly started in the early 90s. However, it didn't become really famous until... Get, can you guess what movie? Uh, no. The Great Gatsby soundtrack. Oh, yes. It re- the Great Gatsby soundtrack really kind of captured... It brought back the 20s. Yeah. Well, it also brought in some like modern elements as well it, through mm. their soundtrack use, in their use of dance swing. Who is one of the artists who uh, played music for that movie? That uh, movie? Yeah. Lana Del Rey? Yeah, Lana Del Rey. Yeah. She's she's not a sw- uh, electro swing artist. No, but but they they. Have but I do love her. <laughs> yeah. She's an awesome uh, artist. Maybe she'll be a topic for another time. <laughs> I mean, true, um, true. Yeah, well, one of the one of the artists for this is like they call it like the electro lounge orchestra, mm. um, and we're actually gonna listen to one of their pieces here right now. I enjoyed it. Got me dancing a little here. Yeah, yeah, and that's the whole point because it is kind of in that electric dance music genre. Only they did you hear those those vintage elements of jazz and swing? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it started out with the the drum beat like you would expect, Mm -hmm. and then immediately followed by the bass. Only instead of like an upright bass or a bass trombone giving us that beat, it's the computer is yeah, electronic. It's, it's it's the bass in terms of like dubstep or EDM. And that kind of follows through for a little bit. You just have the drums and the bass. And then you have the vocals and the trumpets and the saxes come in. So it's pretty much put together by an engineer of music per se. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this is mostly engineered through the computer, either with a DJ or a recording studio. Only there, there is, pl- there is times where it would be performed live with a jazz band and a DJ together. Do you know any examples? 
I, I don't per se, but there are recordings on YouTube and like all out there that I was actually looking at earlier. Yeah, well this is, this is really fascinating stuff. Do you have any other examples? Yeah, I have another piece here that is actually what I'm going to talk about next in this segment. You can actually hear pieces that you're familiar with remastered in this kind of electro jazz setting. Yeah, what's it called? It's called Fat Man by Jesse... Rose. Jesse Rose. Let's give it a listen. From the two pieces we listened to, it seems like they're all pretty similar tempo. Yeah, and that's exactly what this genre is for dance music. You don't want it's a tempo. Yeah, you don't want the dance too fast, nor do you want it too slow. It's used for like club dancing, or like I've even heard it in some school dances, where you're really supposed to get your audience moving, and it's not necessarily supposed to vary too much in tempo. Ah, uh, so it's more blood pumping yeah 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 that's why and mm. and it's and it like can squillix yeah and it can usually relate to swing too where it doesn't vary too much in tempo like you'll have some times where it's appropriate to slow down or speed way up but for the most part you're keeping that beat and getting your audience moving dang this this is pretty fascinating stuff because i am a jazz guy yeah a little um as a music education major and just an avid musician, mm-hmm. I love playing the classics in jazz, you know, Benny Goodman mm-hmm. or any of those. So when I hear this electro swing music, it not only does it get me excited in terms of being a musician, but as just a human being. I just go out there and dance to the beat and enjoy these classics. Yeah, and it's kind of an opportunity to introduce younger audiences to older styles of music. And that particular piece we listened to is obviously, it was a piece from the Cantina theme, but it was kind of remastered to sound like this vintage jazz. You heard at the beginning, it was kind of like muffled, like if it would be on like an old radio. Yeah, I love and then, that. And yeah. then like it cleared up when kind of like that tune-in sound that you mm-hmm. heard kind of brought it to the main theme where it kind of tunes itself in. And I'm pretty sure that's post-production stuff. Yeah, it's, it's all <laughs> a form of decoration to like, where do you, how do you want it to sound right here? And you can use the computer to kind of play with that sound. Yeah, and I like what you're saying that this is a great way to show younger people jazz yeah. and the classics. Yeah. But what I'm worried about is maybe it's a. Now I'm gonna play a little devil's advocate if you don't mind. Of course, I was gonna go into the critiques anyway. Yeah. What if this kind of. Uh, what's the good word to use? Kind of takes apart what makes jazz jazz or takes away the what the artists originally intended when they created sing 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 yeah 
And that's definitely a critique of not only um, electro swing, but electro dance music in general, is that like when you take people's work and remaster it in this form of remix, it kind of takes away from the original artist. Now, I personally don't like the term remix. I prefer remastered in a sense where you do play with the sound a bit and it is someone else's work, but you also give them credit and you also kind of have your own take on it. And you can see this in even music today. It's not just with jazz or EDM. People remix and remaster other people's work, but I don't think they're intending to like ruin what the artist originally intended. I think they're just trying to remaster, come up with a different way people can listen to it. Yeah, and but what if this gives younger audiences a false perspective of what jazz is? You know, we put these fake engineered mm -hmm. stuff into it, like fading in, fading out, making things sound more vintage through more filters and garage band yeah. and stuff like that. And then they go listen to the Gordon Goodwin's big fat band mm -hmm. and they are a great group, right? Yeah. But they listen to it and they're like, oh, this is not what I heard on the radio or on YouTube. Mm -hmm. This is not getting me to go up and dance, you know, like a crazy person. Yeah. This is getting me, you know, maybe to nod my head a bit, but they won't appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, and I think that it is dangerous when this is your only exposure to jazz, because it's not originally jazz at all. It's mm -hmm. it's actually it's its own genre, and it's very different from jazz, even though it uses those elements. I listened to this after listening to jazz. I listened to jazz before I was introduced to electro swing, and I think that kind of got me to appreciate it more as a musician because I already already knew what its influences were, what yeah. the original jazz was, and then I could look at it from a more educational standpoint. Well, maybe this is a great thing to use to maybe recruit. Maybe band directors could use this to kind of recruit kids and say, hey, if you come here, we'll and join our jazz band, we'll play some really cool charts, mm -hmm. and then maybe if we get good enough, we could probably record ourselves, and then I could teach you how to use GarageBand or other opportunities. Because music, the one thing I noticed growing up and wanting to major in music and study music is you really have to be the entrepreneur mm -hmm. for yourself. You have to go out there and market yourself, and you have to find your own niche, Yeah. right? So if you can teach these kids how to use GarageBand and all these other softwares, plus recording stuff and jazz on top of that, mm -hmm. that'll make them a much more marketable individual further on if they decide to continue this outside of high school. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I actually was a bit curious on, like, could you have, like, a high school jazz band with a, a DJ in your rhythm section um, dropping some of these pre-recorded beats and then having the jazz band kind of play on top of that. Yeah, during part of the year that you're not taking them to region. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> or you, state, because they want more tradition. Yeah, if you take this to state, they would kind of... <laughs> They'll laugh at it. <laughs> yeah. They this, might go, this is cool, you're getting three pluses. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> definitely. Well, um, there is more ways you can mess with this, not just with like the beat or the rhythm per se, but kind of the color of the percussion, and that's what this next piece is gonna be.
there was definitely different colors there as far as the drum beat mm-hmm. and the saxophone, the trumpet, and the vocal. The vocal was obviously the original. You could hear that vintage sound, and they actually kept it raw just as it is from when that song was released back in... I don't even know when that song was released. But then the drum beat, besides the the bass drum, which was obviously the automated beat from the computer, you had a set player with like cymbals and you had snare. It's pretty simple, really. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) I had to squeeze that puppy in there. Yeah, and so you had different rhythms other than just this big, powerful bass that you hear from a lot of dubstep. And then you had your sax and trumpet player kind of added on top of that, and that really brought out some different color to the piece. Yeah, and what I really enjoyed about it is it took this jazz, this techno swing that we're talking about, right? And it added a little bit of a dubstep feel to it, you mm-hmm. know, revving up yeah. all of that dominance and boom, Yeah. right on that bass. Exactly, and dubstep is an element of swing, of this electro swing, because you have moments where there's. So you're saying Skrillex is a jazz musician? <laughs> Not per se, but I'm... You are jumping way far. <laughs> well, I'm saying an element of, of this electro swing and using jazz and dubstep together is there's moments where they will just stop the, the beat, have this nice little pause, and then drop it again. Yeah, <laughs> that... That is pretty fantastic. So thanks for talking about that. Today. Yeah, and I have one more piece to play us and out. One more piece. Yeah, just this, to play us out, just for fun. Just for kicks and giggles. Exactly. is going to be way, way different than what you did. I expected it, so there's really no topic that can relate to Electro Swing. No, (laughs) I'm having a hard time trying to think of what would be its equal, but uh, I don't know, maybe techno? Maybe one day we could talk about techno music. Techno music on the field, Blue Devil style. Drum core, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dance, dance visuals. Oh, Riverton High School. <laughs> yeah, I love Riverton. I do too. This is where I first learned marching band. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And I like their dubstep. I did my first eight to five, both in time and out of time at Riverton High. I'm out not telling time. you which order. Out of time first. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it took me a while to get in time, but I got there. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, you know, yeah. y'all gotta start somewhere, and for some of those people, it's on the right foot, and then eventually, you start on your left, and that's where my problem was. <laughs> so anyway, let's let's get to my topic. Okay. Today's gonna be a little shorter than yours. 
Um, because you have to go back home to Salt Lake and do homework. Yeah. Or visit your girlfriend. Oh, no. Not today. But. Sure. <laughs> I know what your homework is tonight, <laughs> To write an annotated bibliography on Nella Larson's passing. Yeah. You got that. Man, it's going to be a hot night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me tell you about Nella Larson. <laughs> well, maybe another podcast. Maybe another podcast. <laughs> yeah, but... So what I really wanted to get into is something that not many music podcasts or just people in general really appreciate, and that's women composers. Yeah, in fact, I don't think at any point during my music history courses we've talked about women composers. No, and same in my music theory courses. We've analyzed Beethoven, Strauss, Mozart, uh, Mozart Chopin, Bach, lots of Bach. Yeah, uh, and not a single woman composer, and I think that's an absolute shame. Yeah, because they're out there. They are. It's not well known, but they are out there. Yeah, and you know, a few years ago, I worked at this summer camp called Frenchwoods up in New York, and there's this woman there, and she was a music composer. We're friends now, um, and she's a great composer. You know, she just. I think she's about to graduate from NYU and go to Juilliard. Oh, wow. And make master's in composition. She's awesome. A great composer. And the world needs to know all about her, right? And may not everything, right? But her music. And people like her. There's Other women composers. But I want to focus on primarily one female composer. And... That's Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn? Felix Mendelssohn? No. Felix's sister. What? Yeah. I didn't know that his sister was a composer. His sister was a composer. In fact, she is... In fact, Felix has admitted that she's a better pianist than he is. Really? Yeah. In fact, when she was just 13, she memorized J.S. Bach's complete... Well-tempered clever. Really? Yeah. The whole shebang, bro. And I think that's interesting how Felix Mendelssohn is discussed in almost every single music history class, but his sister yeah. is left out. I know. I didn't even know he had a sister. Yeah, he, he had a sister. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff, ain't it? Yeah. And, yeah, so and let's get quick into the history of her real fast. This isn't a history podcast. Oh, no. No, but it's but a music, yeah. But we gotta understand history first before we go into anywhere else. And so she was born November 14th, 1805 in Hamburg, Germany. Alright? And then she died May 14th, 1847 in Berlin, Prussia. Hmm. Alright? So, yeah, she's of German ancestry. Yeah. Just like her brother. And you can kind of see at what point in history with the Prussia being a part of Europe at the time. Yeah. And interestingly enough, she had about 500 musical compositions. Really? And, yeah. And it's a real shame that we don't really know her music, at least on a wide spectrum, because obviously we know of her. Mm -hmm. right? We know that she made 500 music compositions. But it's mostly people in the higher-ups of the music world right? that really understand her, and she's not... Like a bronze. Yeah. Well, I've, I have a question for you. Um, obviously, like, 
these composers write so many pieces, some of them go unnamed, but when they're discovered, they, like, have a little number, like, boxes, like, B, W, V, and, mm-hmm. um, Mozart is, what is it, K? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, does she have... I don't an, believe so. Um, I'll have to look into that, um, but, yeah, those are catalog numbers. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I'm not exactly sure, 100% sure I'll have to look that up. I have to look that up for you. Yeah. Any of our listeners and possibly post that afterwards. Yeah, put it in the comments. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting thing to it, check it up on. Is. Yeah, and more orchestra should play her stuff. Not yeah. just because she's a woman, uh-huh. right? But she's an actually good composer. I've listened to her stuff. Uh-huh. I'm a fan of her music, and we just need to play it more. And yeah. I'd like you to listen to one of her pieces. Okay. Okay, so what did you think about that, Henry? I thought it was pretty incredible. It sounded like it could have been Chopin or Schubert or anything, like, at the time that was probably her influence. Yeah, well, she was from the same era. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. 
Um, most composers at that time studied in Vienna, and you really weren't considered a credible composer unless you studied at that institute. Did, did she travel to Italy at all? Yeah, she did, actually, with her husband in 1839. Oh, wow. She went to Italy, yeah, and I think, believe she stayed there for about a year, so I don't know if it was long enough to study full-time at a conservatory, but she certainly would go around and meet with other composers and stuff, but yeah, it, it was really definitely a more male-dominated society back then. So I'm pretty sure she wouldn't have been taken as seriously back then at that time. Yeah, well, you definitely, if you're a composer at the time, you want to go to Italy, because that's where stuff is happening, that's where all the composers mm -hmm. go, For sure. and, and that's definitely where you can yeah. see yourself learn and, and develop. they got some good food. <laughs> definitely some good food, yeah. and good music too, it's Italy for you. Um, now, with female authors, at least in American literature, at that time, were kind of in the same boat as female composers in general, and a lot of female artists, yeah. where they were not taken, taken seriously, seriously, and there'd be, mm -hmm. at least for an author writing a novel, if you were to be a man at the time in a bookstore and see a female name on the book, you probably wouldn't buy it. No. Um, however, there was a lot of artists who changed their name to sound more masculine so that people would take their work seriously. There is some writers who went under a fake name or a pen name to sound like a man. In fact, J.K. Rowling in Harry Potter, her editor told her she should not go by Joanne, go by her initials, so that it would appeal more to male it readers. More yes, and ex exactly. And that's pretty recent. That's like the, yeah. ni the 90s when J.K. Yeah. Rowling was writing was the Harry Potter. Yeah, and her uh, her editor still said, change your name so that it appeals to male readers. Yeah. It is sad we have to go through that. Mm -hmm. Especially nowadays. I mean, you think it's 2018 we should give women respect just like we give men. Yeah, and do you think any female composers went by a different name to appeal more to the dominant society. I'm sure there are plenty that did. There, there could be music that we listen to from that time that yeah. we don't know is written by a female. Yeah, or we just assume that it's a man nowadays, but if you do more research and study it, oh, it turns out it's a female. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you'll find that a lot in history, and same with books, politics. Uh, pretty much anything. Yeah, anything. And... You know, she did when she did get married. Um, she had a way to break away from the Mendelssohn name because just by her brother also being a well-known and also an extremely talented composer himself. It who would who do you think back then in the eighteen hundreds, if you were uh, European and you had a choice to go to a Fanny Mendelssohn or a Felix Mendelssohn concert? I would definitely see more people showing up to Fe Fe oh, sorry, <laughs> Felix Mendelssohn than Fanny, and I think for a good part of her career, she possibly lived in her brother's shadow. Yeah, and I can see that too. So, she when she got married, she changed her last name to Hansel. She took that from her husband. Oh. Right? So that kind of sounds a little bit more manly. So I'm sure when she wrote music, she would put Hansel right there. But it was really Fanny Mendelssohn. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So, I'm sure she did that, too, um, in some ways. Yeah. You know, it's it was a harder world back then for women than it is today. Thankfully, mm -hmm. today, you know, that glass ceiling has a few cracks in it. Yeah. You know, trying to break it. But back then, that glass ceiling was just thick. Yeah, definitely. Now, my question is for you is, at the time, most composers had kind of a revolutionary piece that kind of defined their career. For Beethoven, it was his third symphony, obviously. Um, does Fanny Mendelssohn have a piece that really kind of put her name out there? with people? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say she has one piece that really sticks out mm -hmm. to anyone. Because remember, she, sadly, as a female, no one really paid attention to her. Mm -hmm. So there could be a piece that scholars... People who have many more degrees than you and I do, mm -hmm. who are probably sitting in a room looking over her music, and they might find it. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it's obviously up for debate what piece defines one's career. For yeah. Beethoven, there's people who argue, oh, the third was the first piece that defined his career, and everyone's like, oh no, his fifth symphony was that. The, the third wasn't yeah. his. And then there's people who are like... I'm on the third party, by the way. I, I think the third <laughs> symphony defined his career as well. And then there's people who are like, no, it wasn't really at its height until his last symphony. And I'm like, it's up for debate, of course. Mm, yeah, there's and, always going to be debate. So, if you want, I could put all of Fanny Mendelssohn's music on this podcast, and it could be like a 10-hour-long <laughs> podcast, but we would have no listeners, and we would probably get really bored really quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but different composers kind of have a different progression in their yeah. career. And I kind of want to play Felix Mendelssohn's music real fast, just so we can kind of get an understanding of either the similarities or the differences that you hear in their music. Because remember their family, it's blood. They got the same genes, same mama and papa. They have, they right. grew up together, they probably had similar influences and stuff like that. Yeah, so let's take a listen.
So you know that piece, right? A Midsummer Night's Dream by Felix Mendelssohn. Of course, there's a section of that piece where if you're a flautist and you're auditioning anywhere, you have to memorize that. You have to get it perfect. Yeah, there's no excuse. Yeah. You gotta know that by like 8th grade. Yeah, it just runs. It's 16th yeah. note runs and you have to do it all in one breath and it's amazing. Yeah, certainly. So what did you think of the piece? Uh, I thought that piece was pretty pretty different from um, from Fanny's piece. However, I do, do hear um, the similarities, like how she she had some certain suspensions in her chords on the piano, and I heard that in the strings of Mendelssohn, of mm. Felix Mendelssohn. Yeah. Like, they, they obviously both knew what they were doing and kind of took from different styles, but... Yeah, so who'd you like better? Hard to say. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been trained as a musician to love Felix Mendelssohn for the longest time, mm -hmm. but like... You know, never really talk about his sister. You never really talk about his sister, but now you know it's like, you, you gotta like her as a composer, not because she was a woman in a time where it wasn't okay to be a woman composer, but she just kept composing and innovating and coming up with new ways of expressing her music, and that's pretty admirable. That is admirable. And let's not forget that even though I do say men were the dominant force in music, which they were, women did play a role that was out there in front, in front of the people, opera singers. Oh, definitely. For and as we grow as a society, we have certain women jazz musicians. Yeah, definitely. Like, women performers seem to be more in the norm than women composers. And I wonder if that's has something to do with like women's vocal range and what can, can should they can contribute to our music. Yeah, cuz they can do a lot more than men in some things. Yeah, and even in like I've all the best brass players I know, um a good handful of them are women. Yeah, for sure. The at my school, my my university, the brass department heads a woman. Wow. And she is awesome. I mean, she she's a French horn player, and I'm nice. a euphonium player. So obviously not every she doesn't know a crap ton about euphonium. Mm -hmm. I don't know a crap ton about French horn, but she knows a ton about brass, about pedagogy, about oral skills. That's she's awesome. my oral skills one teacher. That's awesome. Yeah, and she trained me so well. I'm a I have to send her a thank you card when I graduate <laughs> and flowers because she was amazing, taught me everything. The majority of the things I teach my students come from her. So, and I've heard her play before and she's solid. You know, when I was in, when I played with the Utah Premier Brass, there's a woman with a, who's playing solo, corn, solo cornet. She just rips through those notes and is phenomenal. So I know a ton of phenomenal women performers and educators in the music world, mm -hmm. right? And sadly, composition, a lot like literature, is dominated by men. A lot more. Yeah. And they still have their struggles. Performers still have their struggles. Of course. Of course, right? And some things are just terrible, like we hear in the news. Um, like, well, what was that film... In Hollywood, there's this film mogul who was charged with, like, rape. Oh, yeah, that's all uh, over. And it, it's kind of like women are also oppressed because when you get into, like, opera and musical theater, 
it's not only controlled by the men who are composing it, but they specifically choose how many male or female characters they want. That's how many male or female jobs are going to be offered when that opera company decides to perform it. Yeah. And I do think that the dominant um, music being belonging to men does kind of fall back to where did music start? It started in a church setting. Or organized music. Yeah, organized. I'm sure we hit rocks and as percussion <laughs> Well, yeah, but once we started organizing music and it was oh, yeah. monks. It was the monks. And monks are men. Singing those hymns. Yeah, and that's kind of where um, Western classical music started, was in the church setting, dominated by men, because uh, the Catholic Church has a male dominant in their history. So I think that's where the culture kind of progressed from there. Yeah. And so with the Fanny Mendelssohn, I don't really want our listeners or you or anyone to think that, oh, it was just her. Because mm-hmm. there are many more. And especially nowadays. Like I said, my friend from NYU, who's a phenomenal composer, and I hope she makes it big, right? The, now, there's a lot of really good ones nowadays. One of them is Cindy McTee. Have you ever heard of her? I have not heard of her. Yeah, she is really good. Her music's a little bit tougher, so college ensembles tend to play her. Is it what kind of ensembles play her music? Bands mostly. Wind, wind ensembles. Wind ensembles. Concert ensembles. Concert bands. So I'm gonna play one of her pieces mm-hmm. for you, and hopefully you enjoy. So, Henry, thoughts? I definitely got a 21st century vibe, like anything to Kelly has written. Kind yeah, of. anything modern. She's yeah. definitely a modern composer. Yeah, I definitely got that. Yeah, and it's good stuff. I mean, this is solid, solid wind band literature, yeah. or music literature just in general. And obviously, if we had time, we could go into how 21st century music mostly like plays with different tone colors and stuff you really didn't get before, but... That's for another time. She definitely had, knew what her in, her in ensembles and instruments were capable of playing, and she used that to her advantage. Yeah, and you certainly have more women composers 
to um, honorable mentions of the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you have composers like Cheryl Francis Hode, um, Charlotte Bray, just to name a couple of them, mm-hmm. and many, many more. And I encourage you and the rest of the listeners to go and search for these wonderful women composers because they're out there they're alive just like wonderful women authors and i would i would add to that not just women but my um american minorities in general like african-american composers or um mexican-american composers Mm -hmm. and um women of color and different minority groups and see what they can bring to the table of our american art (laughs) we have we play a lot of white, middle-aged American music, or white, middle-aged European music. Yeah, and not to say that I'm against, like, Gustav Holst or Eric Whitaker. No, those are phenomenal composers. Yeah, but their their names are so white and European. Eric Whitaker, I mean... Can you get more Western than that? Like, really, and... um, a name like was it Cindy uh, Cindy McTee? Yeah. That that brings some diversity in a, in it of itself. It's just a woman name on a piece of music. Yeah. So, any last thoughts before we wrap up here? No, I just think we had two very different topics, but very cool to kind of discuss and go into. Yeah. No kidding. All right. So, I know last time we had the podcast, we talked about. We were going to record on our way to Uinta, and we decided against that. <laughs> it didn't work out. No. like We were going too early in the morning at like 3, 4 a.m. I slept the entire time. Yeah, we were too tired, and I got lost listening to British brass band music <laughs> on Spotify. And As you do on a four-hour drive. Yeah, and I don't know, Henry, if you heard me singing I at time. I didn't. I was just asleep the yeah. entire time. That was the only way I could stay awake. Mm-hmm. So it was just singing with the music and whatnot. And then we tried on our way back. And did it work out? No, because it was raining really hard. So you heard the rain, plus you heard the cars. Yeah. Yeah, it was a mess. It was a giant mess. And neither of us are radio technicians. Nope. Or audio technicians. We are a flute player and a euphonium player who both work at pizza places and teach marching band and go to college. (laughs) So, yeah, how about them apples, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for listening, and have a wonderful time. Go to Pizza Hut, not Papa John's. I second that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Henry, you're a manager at Papa John's. I was a manager, now I'm just a driver. Well, that's what happens when you kick out Henry. Uh, they didn't kick me out, I left. All right, so. All right well, listen, or... Chat with you later. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Adios, y'all. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. It don't mean a thing. All you got to do is sing.